I'm just going to say this, and I'm going to say it, you know, with the honest intent of, you know, just just my honest thoughts. September is when fall's coming in the air and when fall's just, you know, starting out, right? And, you know, football's in the air. You can't really separate a team from the other. They're just starting. Fine. September is where, okay, it's early. A lot of ball left to play. October comes in. It's like, okay, sleepwalk early on in October, but not really. You need to start picking it up a little bit. The tests are starting to come in, you know, week by week. Then November hits, and you're like, in November, you're like, wow. You know, it's one of those months where, you know, you guys make it or break it, you know, time to put up or shut up. November is the month where people start separating themselves from the others, and you're separating yourselves from good to elite. There's good teams, and then there's elite. Those two words are going to come into play in this episode. Welcome to Pigskin Frenzy on this wonderful Tuesday afternoon. Thank you for joining us. I am Joel Norris. Whether you're watching on YouTube, listening on Spotify, Podbean, or Apple, a big thank you for taking some time out of your Tuesday to just sit back, watch, and listen to some college football coverage presented by me. Now, if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to the channel, like each episode, leave comments down below. Spotify, Podbean, and Apple. Just follow on there, share around with others. X, Instagram, and Facebook, all you got to do is type in Pigskin Frenzy, follow, share around with others, like the pages there. You'll get episode updates, news and highlights from across college and NFL football. There's trivia questions on Instagram stories. Go and answer today's, as well as all things up to date for Pigskin Frenzy. Guys, college football day today. Jam-packed show, by the way. Uh, we're going to recap week 11 of college football. There were some games that, by the way, uh, with my picks, if you're seeing me on YouTube, you can't see me on, my nose is itching already. You can't see me on audio, but you can hear me. Just picture this on audio, YouTube, you're watching. I'm holding a four and I'm holding a zero. Four and oh in my picks last week. I did pretty well, but the outcomes were wrong. I was surprised. I thought some games were going to be closer and they weren't. And I thought, you know, I, I hit the nail on the head on a particular game. So we're going to recap week 11, talk about that. Uh, going to go by that with, going to go by that game, you know, these games a little bit quick. Uh, try to, because we got a lot to talk about with, you know, a lot of stuff going on in Oxford. We're going to go into Ole Miss and talk about what's going on with Ole Miss. We're going to talk about the latest on the science handling investigation with Jim Harbaugh in Michigan. We're also going to dive deep into some coaching carousel out of Starkville, Mississippi, and Texas A&M. News reported Sunday. News reported yesterday in Starkville. We're going to talk about those games. Our games. We're going to talk about those coaching carousel. We're going to talk about the games. Frenzy rankings. We're going to talk about that and break down the latest frenzy rankings as well as Week 12 preview and predictions. Guys, subscribe to the channel on YouTube. You're not going to want to miss this. Um, Keep plugging in on YouTube. Share around with others on Fall on Spotify, Podbean, and Apple on Audio, X, Facebook, and Instagram. Just keep plugging in to Pigskin Frenzy and just sharing around and following on those pages. Now, week 11 recap. Let's kick it off with a game. Missouri, Tennessee. I thought this game was going to be a lot closer. I was wrong. Final score, 36-7. Missouri routes Tennessee. I was right about the outcome, wrong about how close it was going to be. I thought it was going to be a 28-21 game. 36-7. 
And it was all because of one key that I got right and I talked about, which was Cody Schrader. Brady Cook, 18 for 24 with 275 yards and a touchdown with one interception, 12 carries with 55 yards and a touchdown. Cody Schrader, 35 carries with 205 yards and a touchdown, five receptions with 116 yards. My goodness, Cody Schrader, absolute animal. He leads the SEC in rushing, by the way, now. Just wanted to point that out there. Mar- Marquise Johnson, two receptions with 56 yards. Makai Miller, two receptions with 35 yards. Luther Burden, four receptions with 26 yards and a touchdown. Theo Weiss, two receptions with 17 yards. The, def- the defense would force three turnovers, two fumbles, and one interception by defensive back Dalen Cornell. Solid defense performance. From Missouri. Now let's go to the Tennessee stats before we break down this game a little bit. Joe Milton, 22 for 34 with 267 yards and a touchdown with one interception. 10 carries with 36 yards. Jalen Wright, 7 carries with 22 yards. 2 receptions with 21 yards. Dylan Sampson, 3 carries with 20 yards. 2 receptions with 13 yards. Ramel Keaton, 4 receptions with 57 yards. Squirrel White, 4 receptions with 53 yards. Dante Thornton, 46-yard touchdown catch. Chas Nimrod, two receptions with 17 yards. And Jacob Warren, their tight end, two receptions with 17 yards. Safety, Jalen McCullough was a big highlight for this team with seven total tackles and an interception. Now, when you look at Mich- when you look at Missouri, I expected him to win because when I watched the game, I didn't really agree and like, oh, I like a lot of the matchups that were being presented on Tennessee's side and Missouri's side. It's a difference how... Tennessee was a year ago and how Missouri was a year ago and how the roles have kind of flipped uh, matchup-wise. I thought Missouri presented a great matchup, home field advantage, and Cody Schrader was the big component in this as they just couldn't stop him. They couldn't stop him through the air through the run, and they just couldn't stop him. So, And and the Missouri's defense held them to only seven points. They played very physical football against Tennessee and Tennessee now this season has is known to be more of a physical more on the line of scrimmage football team than they were last year obviously because last year all it was all guns blazing with their offense now they're more of a physical you know hang in the 20s team and I just thought it was crazy that Missouri with their defense won the battle up front and played a little bit more physical football and Cody Schrader was a big part of that, you know, big part with, you know, through the air and the run on offense. So Missouri looks solid. By the way, coach of the year in the SEC, in my opinion, Eli Drinkwitz. He's got my vote. What, and not just, probably coach of the year overall because of what he's done. He has changed the trajectory of that program. He has changed, I mean, a lot. Literally, a lot. He was coaching for his job. Now he's going to have a 10 to 11 win season unbelievable of what's happening in Missouri. They're uh, they're near the top 10. It's unbelievable. Honestly, it's unbelievable. Uh, or in my eyes, they're near the top 10. Uh, I, I think they should be. Uh, don't know what the, what tonight's playoff rankings have in store, but in my frenzy rankings, they're near the, they're near the top 10. And we're going to talk about it later on, but Missouri just looks good. Eli Drinkwitz, remarkable comeback. I applaud Eli, Coach Eli Drinkwitz for the job he's doing, and uh, he saved his job at Missouri. So congratulations to him. Tennessee, got to go back to the drawing board a little bit. Uh, they This was their last chance to try to make it a, make, it, make the East race a competition, but with this loss, Georgia has now clinched the SEC East once again, and the SEC championship will be Alabama now that they clinch the West after 
beating Kentucky. And then Georgia has clinched the East with a from a with a Tennessee loss here. We're going to talk about Georgia and Ole Miss here later on. But Bama, Georgia in a couple of weeks on December 2nd for the SEC Championship. Should be a good one. I'm covering it. Executive decision already. I'm covering it in a few weeks. So we're going to break that one down. And have plenty of time to talk about that one on Tuesday. So Tennessee had their last shot. They just kind of didn't make the most of it. Turnovers uh, just not not the matchups weren't presented right, and as well, they were in a, a hostile environment. Uh, let's see what happens when they go back home, when they go back home against the uh, against Georgia, uh, and let's see what happens uh, Saturday when they play Georgia in Knoxville at home. I'm covering that game as well. Uh, we'll break it down. Uh, we're going to break it down. But final score: Missouri 36, Tennessee seven. Missouri's going to keep rolling. Tennessee, they got to figure. They got to you know try to play with a lot of toughness coming into this game Saturday against Georgia. So we'll see what happens uh, here. So Missouri, by the way, really quick, I do not see them losing to Florida, and I don't see them losing to Arkansas. I think Missouri will probably have a 11-win uh, season, could have an 11-win season. So Washington and Utah, next game. I had Washington winning this one. I was right. Excuse me. Unprofessional there. I was wrong about the outcome, about the closeness of the game. I thought it was going to be a two-score game. Don't count out Utah. That's all I got to say. Made my made that mistake. Washington 35, Utah 28. Michael Penix 24 for 42 with 332 yards and two touchdowns. One rushing touchdown. Dylan Johnson 23 carries with 104 yards and a touchdown. Two receptions with 28 yards. Tybo Rogers two carries with 24 yards. Rome Adunze, Three receptions with 111 yards and two touchdowns. Tight end Jack Westover, seven receptions with 64 yards. Uh, wide, another wide receiver for you know replacing the Jalen McMillan as McMillan missed another game. Jeremy Bernard, six receptions with 63, 63 yards. And Jalen Polk, four receptions with 55 yards. The defense notched two turnovers, by the way, guys. With defensive back Dominique Hampton getting one and linebacker Alfonso Tupatala racking up one. The defense was stingy and it was led by Hampton with five total tackles on top of the interception. Before I go into Utah really quick, that interception by Alfonso Tupatala was crazy. Picks the ball off, Bryce, it was 33-28. Picks the ball off, Tupatala does, and runs it back for a pick six. And then... And then the one yard line hits, and he, you know, he gets he gets in the end zone. It's a pick six. Everyone's waving. And then they're like, you know, the ball the ball's out. The ball's out. It's loose. We're like, what? What happened? Saw the replay, and he drops it at the one yard line with Utah recovering it. He didn't. He he thought he was in the end zone already, and he just dropped it behind him. But he was on the one yard line, and Utah picked it up, so it wasn't a pick six. Man, wow, that was crazy. That's this is why you need to pay attention in college football and in football in general. And then next play, Utah comes out of their own one yard line, and it's a safety, a safety to make it thirty five twenty eight. And the fourth quarter, nobody scored. So that was pretty much. The game right there. Wow. Crazy 
how football works, ladies and gentlemen. Crazy how this game works. Bryson Barnes, 17 for 30 with 267 yards and two touchdowns with two interceptions, six carries with 39 yards. To Quinton Jackson, 10 carries with 29 yards and two touchdowns, two receptions with eight yards. Jalen Glover, eight carries with 37 yards. Money Parks, two receptions with 17 yards and a 15-yard carry. Devon Valet, five receptions with 145 yards. Sion Vakai, four receptions with 67 yards and a touchdown and four tackles. Landon Kane, two receptions with 30, 20 yards. Miki Sugar Sugar Suga Suga Turaga, uh, went from defensive tackle to tight end. Six-yard touchdown, and the defense played very stingy, and it was led by linebacker Lavani Damani. Eight, and he played with a chip on his shoulder with 12 total tackles. Second start in program history for the second 10 and 0 start in program history for Washington. Uh, Utah presented a challenge. They played them. They were saying, we're going to go into your house and we're going to play y'all with the best of our abilities. And they did. Credit Utah for coming in and playing this game and keeping this game close. Washington was just not going to be denied. I thought this game was good on both sides. I thought both teams played well. They both played consistent. And I thought it was a competitive game. I thought Utah had some had some competitive advantages. And I thought Washington had some competitive advantages. Uh, but that Michael Penix, man. It is really hard to try to slow him down and try to stop him from what he's trying to achieve. And it's going to be tough. And I don't know. Michael Penix is, uh, could be on his way to the Heisman Trophy. Uh, it's kind of a toss-up between him and LSU quarterback Jaden Daniels right now. But uh, he... He played, he played an amazing game. Utah played really well. They tried their best to slow him down uh, with their defense. They played really singy defense as well as Washington. So, uh, I mean, it was a competitive game overall. And it was, you know, it could have gone either way. That's my recap of this game. It could have gone either way. And I honestly thought Washington was going to win a game. But now looking back on it, I couldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if it was the other way around and Washington was 9-1. Honestly, because it was it was a close game. Utah played lights out. Kyle Winningham's a good coach, and now they got to go into a pretty tough game and very underrated game of Week Twelve against Arizona. That guys, we're covering. We're going to cover that game and talk about that game uh, heading into this weekend. We're covering this game this weekend. So, final score: thirty-five, twenty-eight. Washington ten and zero. Utah seven and three. And guys, good team and good. Good programs for both, dude. Both coaches are great. Kalen DeBoer and uh, and Kyle Whittingham for Utah. Good, good coaches. Good, well coached programs and good game overall this past weekend. So moving on, we're gonna go with two more games before we hit up. You know what's going on in the other news and the frenzy rankings and everything. Michigan and Penn State. We got to talk about this game. This game, I thought was gonna be you know double score, you know, two score game. Was wrong about that, but I was right about the outcome. Final score, Michigan 24, Penn State 15. The stats, I don't have a whole lot for you, because I, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. Let's. The game itself was to make, if you're Michigan, make Penn State's offense one-dimensional. Spoiler alert, after this game, uh, Mike Yersick, uh, the offensive coordinator for Penn State, uh, was let was relieved of his duties. He was fired after this loss to Michigan due to the fact of the offense and how it is played so far in bigger time games and in games itself. So uh, they need more. They need to play bigger, bigger offense and bet better offense in big time games. And they're not doing that. 
right now. So uh, they made him one-dimensional. I'm going to get to that in a minute. Let's go with the stats. J.J. McCarthy, 7 for 8 with 60 yards, 8 carries or 34 yards. You're going to be like, they didn't throw the ball a lot. He didn't because he didn't need to. Blake Corum, 26 carries with 145 yards and two touchdowns. Donovan Edwards, 10 carries with 52 yards and a touchdown. Cornelius Johnson, two receptions with 24 yards. Samaj Morgan, freshman wide receiver, two receptions with 17 yards. And the defense played really well and notched a big turnover late to wrap up the game. Drew Aller, 10 for 22 with 70 yards and a touchdown. 10 carries with 40 yards and a touchdown. Catron Allen, 12 carries with 72 yards. Nick Singleton, 13 carries with 43 yards. Tyler Warren, their tight end, two receptions with 25 yards. Their other tight end, Theo Johnson, two receptions with 10 yards and a touchdown. And the defense played really stingy and gave it their all, except when it came to running the football. They could not stop the run, which is crazy. Number one in rush, in rush defense this season so far. And they just couldn't stop the run. They, that was their weakness. They Michigan Michigan challenged them and said, you know what? You haven't faced backs like us yet. Stop the run. Stop the run. So Ohio State is, is down one with Mayan Williams being out for the rest of the season. Ohio State didn't present that challenge running the ball. They throw the ball a lot more. Michigan does a little bit of both. They have a more of a balanced attack. But their running backs are two of the best and not just in the country, maybe not, maybe not just in the big 10, but in the country. I mean, they challenged them and they just couldn't stop it. They just couldn't stop it. No Jim Harbaugh, by the way, Jim Harbaugh. And I'm going to get to this in a minute was suspended from, you know, for the game. We're going to talk about that here in a little bit, but no Harbaugh, no problem. It was, it, it was honestly a player led effort. And not just that, it was, I mean, credit, uh, credit Shamal, uh, Shamor, uh, Shamal Moore, Shamal, uh, Sharon Moore. He, he played a, a, an excellent part as being the interim coach this game and the OC this game calling the plays. He ran the ball efficiently and Blake Corum was a big part of this game. He had a bloody nose after the game. So Michigan still looking like a complete team and still looking like, you know, Hey, we haven't played anybody. We just did. And we just passed. So we're going to see what happens. They got two more games left, Maryland and Ohio State. So let's see what happens with Michigan. Penn State, defense played solid. I apologize for the defense. The offense didn't really play to the best of their ability. That's why Mike Yersick is no longer with the team. They're trying to find a new offensive coordinator for next season. So it's one of those things where you look at Penn State and you're like, man, man, we probably could have beaten you know, these two teams with the quarterback that we got. Drew Allard is a quarterback that needs to be developed more and a quarterback that can make good throws. The only problem with Penn State is they're in an, he's in a, Drew Allard's in an offense and in the offense, and there, you have players on this offense that are not used to running the scheme that they're used to running. It's more of a slower, stagnant pro style attack. And it's not the case. You're supposed to run a spread offense with a type of quarterback that Drew Allard is, right? So it's one of those games where you look and you're like, oh man, you know, what could have been? And it really is because that defense was keeping them in it. So it was what could have been for Penn State. And that is definitely the season that's what's happening so far. So final score, Michigan 24, Penn State 15, Michigan's rocking and rolling at 10 and 0, 8 and 2, excuse me, excuse me. Penn State 8 and 2, that was unprofessional of me, I apologize, but Penn State's 8 and 2. They're going to go back to the drawing board. They got Michigan State here in the next couple of weeks. So, interesting games coming up here shortly. Michigan still at top. 
of the leaderboard along with Ohio State, both at 10 and 0. So, last game before we go to the other news and before we go to the frenzy rankings, got to talk about that Georgia Ole Miss game. You're probably thinking, Ole Miss fans, no, no, we got to talk about it. So, said so Georgia was going to win. Yes, they did. Thought it was going to be closer and then they were going to pull away in the half, pull away. They did. And it was by much more than I expected. So this game I kind of got right. Final score, Georgia 52, Ole Miss 17. 52-17, Georgia defeats Ole Miss. They rolled against Ole Miss, and it wasn't close. I'm not going to sit there and sit here and, and, and lie to everybody. It wasn't close. The game on paper was not. It wasn't close. Carson Beck, 18 for 25 with 306 yards and two touchdowns with one interception, four carries with 30 yards. Kendall Milton had a game. He was hurt for majority of the year, but he had a game this past weekend. Nine carries with 127 yards and two touchdowns. Dejon Edwards also had a game. 12 carries with 59 yards and two touchdowns, two receptions with 17 yards. Andrew Paul, their freshman back, six carries with 32 yards and a touchdown. Lad McConkey, four receptions with 81 yards and a touchdown and 11-yard carry. Dominic Lovett, four receptions with 77 yards. Rara Thomas, two receptions with 54 yards. And the returning, starting at number, starting at tight end number 19, Brock Bowers returned after a four-week layover from tightrope ankle surgery. If it was me, I would have sat for the season. But Brock Bowers is a freak. He is an animal. He is a solid and one of the best football players in the country. Three receptions with 34 yards and a touchdown. That's okay. He scored a touchdown big. And by the way, He's going pretty high in the the first round of the 2024 draft. He's going to go make his money. The defense played very physical and tough, per usual, and it was led by linebacker C.J. Allen and defensive back Tyreek Smith and Javon Bullard. Allen had nine total tackles. Smith had six total tackles, and Bullard had notched five total tackles and an interception. Let's go with Ole Miss's stats first before we, you know, you know, hit up, you know, the whole game and premise of the game. Jackson Dart, 10 for 17 with 112 yards and an interception, eight carries with 20 yards. He left the game in the third quarter with a big hit to the collarbone area. It was fear that he have, might have had a broken collarbone, but Lane Kiffin did confirm that he could have returned, but they were just not going to put him back in with the score the way it was. As Spencer Sanders came back in, and Oklahoma State transfer, Spencer Sanders, four for seven with 61 yards, five carries with 21 yards. Quinshawn Juckins, 22 carries with 75 yards and two touchdowns, three receptions with 14 yards. You, you, Ulysses Bentley the fourth. Ulysses Bentley the fourth. Six carries with 23 yards. Uh, Caden Priscorn. Hayden Priest scoring six, two receptions with 48 yards. Dayton Wade, three receptions with 45 yards. Jordan Watkins, two receptions with 34 yards. Trey Harris, two receptions with 12 yards. And the defense just really could not hold Georgia the whole time. So I said physicality was going to be a big part of this game. Here's my, here's my thoughts on the game itself. Ole Miss is an up-tempo team that was going to Gonna go for it. They were gonna launch launch plays down the field. They were gonna go for it. They were gonna you know shoot the stars and hope plays landed. Good. It's supposed to be like that. And when you have an up to offense, they had a good plan on offense. But Georgia caught on. Georgia caught on with a, a very smart defense, very physical defense, and it came down to a a, a pace of who is going to be a little bit more physical. And I knew that was going to come into play. Who was going to be a lot more physical? And that's how I viewed this game. A lot of people didn't view it as that. They were viewing it as uh, 
you know, getting Ole Miss off the field on third down, which Georgia is very good at on defense. Uh, third in FBS. Ole Miss is uh, Ole Miss is good at converting with ninth in FBS, but but it was to me about the physicality of this game. Who was going to be a lo- a lot more physical? I thought that Georgia was going to be more physical because of what they have presented themselves. Depth and players, all of that matters in this game. It did matter in this game. Ole Miss has a team. They're a good team. But unfortunately, they are not elite. And it's and it's and it's just the same thing about LSU Alabama. LSU is not ready to go back to being elite. They have a good offense. I'm sorry, an elite offense. They do have an elite offense. They just don't. They have a bad, the worst defense in the SEC. LSU does. Same thing with Ole Miss. Ole Miss has a has a a a, a decent defense and a good offense, but they're not elite. And it, and it, and it's Georgia that's elite. Georgia's the elite. And it's hard to sit there and say that, and it's a hard pill to swallow. But the time of the thing is, it's okay to admit that. All you got to do now is work on it. Recruit. Work on everything. Add more depth to skill positions and grow in physicality. If you grow in physicality, then everything's good. You know, everything is good. Good, but not elite. I said I was going to use those two words. Ole Miss is a good team, but not an elite team. Georgia. Starting to get everything rolling as we prepare for the SEC championship. SEC championship for Tennessee game doesn't really matter. They won the East. Alabama won the West. And it's going to be a showdown in December 2nd. Right now, and this was reported yesterday, that Georgia is a four-point favorite early against Alabama. But we'll get into that later on. Just, just wanted to point that out. But Georgia... Alabama in the SEC championship game. I can't wait for it. I'm going to cover it. I'm going to, you know, talk about it on the show. We'll we'll break it down, and I'll, I'll that'll be one of the games I cover. Obviously, covering all of conference championships this week that weekend of December second and first and second. So playoff Sunday and the committee rankings happen too. So uh, good on Georgia. They're a contender. Uh, watch them out. Watch out for them. I said they weren't going to be battle tested enough. Shame on me. For saying that. I said that they weren't going to be battle-tested enough with their schedule. I said that. I'll admit that. Guys, let me go on and say this. For those of you listening on audio and in video, shame on me, and I apologize for that. Georgia, phenomenal team. Phenomenal team, elite team, and they have run the table, and they are looking to run the table to try to go into the playoffs and try to three-peat. If they three-peat, if they end up doing it, I need to go buy a Georgia shirt and I'll wear it on the show. If if they three-peat, I will go buy a Georgia shirt and I will wear it on the show. Uh, final score, 52-17. Georgia defeats Ole Miss. Uh, Big-time game right there. Big-time game for Georgia. They look really good. So that was the recap for college football in week 11. We're going to move on to week 12, and we're going to go into some news out of Ann Arbor. Let's go with this, the latest sign stealing, uh, you know, scandal. What's going on there? Michigan is being punished by the Big Ten, as everywhere you know, everyone's well aware of. This past, you know, this last weekend, uh, head coach Jim Harbaugh missed the Penn State game due to being suspended three games as a result of the sign stealing and in-person scouting investigations. He got the tarmac, had a meeting out of the plane. By the way, out of the plane. You know what happened? They told him he was being suspended. He did not know until he got off the in-state in college, Pennsylvania. 
stay at a hotel in State College. Michigan ended up winning the game. Uh, now there is a hearing because after the suspension was you know, mentioned, Michigan has filed a temporary restraining order against the conference, the Big Ten Conference, and now there will be a hearing Friday to see you know, to see if they can allow Jim Harbaugh to coach the rest of the season and potentially the Big Ten championship game. So big time news there. There's no question that he did that they did do it. And I'm just gonna be honest. I play both sides of the fence here. Let's play both sides. Play play devil's advocate again. They did do it, but it could have been handled better by the conference. It was a very shady way of doing stuff. I, it was. I mean, you're going to tell him as he goes to State College and he's suspended and he can't coach? I mean, as he's landed out of the plane? I mean, you, it's just a, not a good way of doing business. It's not a good way of doing things. Uh, there needs to be a more of a thorough investigation for, from the NCAA and through the Big Ten before anything comes up about it. If they did do it and Jim Harbaugh doesn't, you know, doesn't get to coach, here's my thing. Do not leave Jim Harbaugh, do not leave Jim Harbaugh out of it, but do not leave the kids and the student athletes out of the playoff. They have worked for this season, no matter their schedule, they have worked hard for it, and they deserve to be in if they finish undefeated. They Jim Harbaugh may not need to be in it. The head coach knows about this stuff. For everybody that says he did not know, there's no way that he didn't know because he's the head coach. You're supposed to know about all this stuff. Jim Harbaugh, if he gets suspended, leave him out of it, but let the but let Michigan as a whole, the kids, the student athletes, play in the playoff. That's just my 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 take on it. I see both sides of the fence. Things are starting to get chippy in the Big Ten. And I'm talking about Future-wise, things are starting to get chippy in the Big Ten due to this stuff. Uh, relationships are kind of being questioned at this point, and uh, we're going to see about everything the hearing Friday. The hearing is the Big Ten. You can label it the Big Ten versus Michigan right now, but the hearing is going to determine a lot of the the pending results and more results coming out of this sign-stealing investigation and scandal here going on with Michigan. That's the latest on Michigan, and those are my thoughts on it uh, of what's going on there. So let's go into Oxford really quick, and I talked about this, and it came out before the Georgia game. Uh, the Ole Miss discrimination suit with uh, defensive lineman DeSanto Rollins and Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. Now, I want to have my thoughts on this. Before we go to the coaching carousel, and by the way, we're going to discuss targeting. Uh, I kind of wanted to discuss this because it kind of got me irritated a little bit for <laughs> this last past weekend, so we're going to talk about it. But DeSanto Rollins, former DL DeSanto Rollins, has sued Ole Miss and head coach Lane Kiffin due to kicking him off the team back in March and berating him over his mental health. And the audio of that conversation was leaked all over social media, right? like everything will, you know, nowadays. Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss have filed a motion to dismiss the lawsuit that is $40 million. So, so, let me take a sip of water because I've been talking a lot. Sorry. So, when I, uh, when I look, you know, at everything, right, when I look at, uh, listen back on this, at least, I thought to myself, 
devil's advocate again. I thought, okay. I felt like with the audio, Coach Kiffin could have handled it a little bit better. Could have been stern with him and said, hey, the coach wants to meet with you. you you're going to have to meet with me, and you know you're going to have to talk about this stuff. Stern, and yes, kick him off the team, but, but stern, but don't do what he did. If y'all have the audio, I'm not going to play it now. Don't have it yet, but don't have that type of equipment right yet. But if you do, have the uh, found the find the audio. I shared it on my socials. Go and listen to it, and go type it in on YouTube, and go type it in, you know, elsewhere. So when I look at everything, and I just see things, you know, and I, I and I just listen to it, he could have handled it a lot better. He did. The flip side of this, though, he had a recording for a reason. DeSanto Rollins brought that recording out for a reason. I think when a boss tells you, how about this, better way to put this, when a boss tells you, hey, come in for this shift. I, I'm not going to come in for this shift. I can't. I'm taking a break right now. Uh, uh, okay. Well, come in for this shift. Ghost the boss doesn't come in for any shift and says he wants to speak with you and he doesn't say anything. What happens at that job? Most likely, you're no longer employed there. So, the same thing is happening with DeSanto Rollins, and it's just like coach and player. He's your boss, man, and, and you got to go in when he, you can't hide behind it. You got to go in, and you have to, you know, you have to discuss things with the coach. I felt like DeSanto Rollins was using mental health as a little bit of, and I'm not trying to, this ain't sound insensitive, but let me explain a little bit, a little bit as a crutch. Mental health is a serious problem. I will tell you this now from personal experience. I know because I was diagnosed with anxiety disorder, chronic anxiety disorder. I've been diagnosed with that. So I know what it's like. I know what stress and anxiety is like. I know what mental health is like. I have been through it. Right now, I'm a little bit, you know, I'm not as bad as I was, which is good currently, but it, it it takes a toll on you. You know, it does. It takes a toll. Mental health is so important, and I believe that everybody should have welfare checks within their program. I strongly encourage people to get welfare checks for their programs, for their student athletes, because it's so important in the game of football, basketball, whatever sport in the NCAA that you're in get a welfare check for mental health. It's very important, especially with all the conference realignment stuff coming up. Big time mental health was these kids got classes, school, everything and extracurricular activities outside of their sports they're playing in. And they have to go travel across the country because the big 10 added USC, UCLA or Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC. You know, all this conference realignment stuff, Stanford going to the ACC, Cal going to the ACC. They added this stuff, Right. Oregon and Washington in the Big Ten, they added a lot of this stuff. So it's like I would definitely consider well, mental well, mental health you know, welfare checks. However, this looks like a guy that's just maybe trying to get a little bit of money. And, and, and I'm not trying to be blunt, but it's on, being honest. you got to be honest with this stuff. Uh, I There's two, two sides of every coin. DeSanto Rollins, I am praying that he gets the help that he needs with the mental health issues. I am prayers and thoughts are with him during a mental health struggle, and, and I want him to get well, and I want him to go talk to, to people and communicate this with people. But at the same time, when you look at everything, man, 
I mean, it's 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 kind of a it is kind of a crutch to hide behind, you know, about you know not showing up and all this, and then trying then bringing a recorder in to try to get to try to get something good to try to sue him. And it's not right. It, that stuff's not right. So uh, I agree with Lane Kiffin to try to file a motion to dismiss the lawsuit uh, and Ole Miss to try to file a motion to dismiss this lawsuit. I 100% agree with it. I would try to dismiss it. But DeSanto Rollins, uh, the whole thing when him talking about, you know, talking talking during the conversation could have been handled a lot better. So I see both sides to the coin when it comes to this stuff. Mental health is a real problem. And if you need help, please, and I encourage everybody out there to go talk to somebody. Do not sit and waste any time. Uh, go and mention, talk to somebody. And, you know, people are there for you. So just, just be around people that care about you and, you know, just discuss the pe- discuss things that you're going through with others. So mental health is a problem and go and get help for it. So that's just my two cents on everything with going on with the DeSanto Rollins case and uh, the old Miss. And we're going to move on. We got two two more things before we move on to the frenzy rankings and before we go to the preview and prediction. So let's talk about targeting really quick before we go to the coaching carousel because the coaching carousel is going to be interesting. Uh, targeting. I said I was going to talk about targeting because it is becoming an apparent issue in college football. And it is. It really is. Um... Let's go with the 2023, and I'm going to quote this from the NCAA rule book, and it says that a player should be penalized for targeting if he makes, quote, forcible contact to the head or neck area of a defenseless opponent with the helmet, forearm, hand, fist, elbow, or shoulder. Didn't mention anything about shoulder to shoulder. Ole Miss, Florida played. Uh, defensive back Andre Sam Hit a Florida player. Florida player. Shoulder to shoulder. No head. He leaned in with his shoulder. I will admit, hey, forcible contact when he's leaning in with the crown of the helmet, you know, but he wasn't leaning with the crown of the helmet. He was leaning with his shoulder to hit him shoulder to shoulder. He got called targeting for that. Dallas Turner blasts Jaden Daniels. Last week against you know or a couple or a week and a half ago against LSU, and Jaden Daniels gets out and he didn't put in concussion protocol because he jumped on he jumped with a he did a tackle launch ran him down with his head and it should have been targeting because he head budgeted him as he was falling down on top of him was not called targeting. Jalen Don- Jalen Johnson from Arkansas, defensive back number eight for Arkansas. Jalen Johnson ran and was going to tackle an Auburn player, and with huge hit to the chest with a forearm. Helmets he- didn't hit, didn't lead with the helmet at all. Forearm to the chest area that was called targeting for some reason because it was close to the neck area. He wasn't defenseless either. He was he. I mean, I will say this: he was defenseless, and it should have been called a penalty because he was out of bounds. But it wasn't targeting. It wasn't targeting. These refs are getting confused on what is targeting and what is not, and the rules are getting blended in. It doesn't make any sense because calls that are obviously targeting are being called not targeting. Calls that are way off 
of targeting or being called targeting, and people are losing games and losing time on the uh, time on the field because of this, and people who can actually get hurt because of this in real time. Jaden Daniels got a got a, a near concussion because of this, guys. We have to change the targeting rule in college football. We have to. It is ridiculous. It's not right. People are getting are going to get hurt if we do not change the rule. People who are targeting, right? They need to be called for targeting. People who are who wasn't who is not called for targeting do not need to be called for targeting. It's a contact sport. I get it, but at the same time, you do need to adjust the rules for one outcome of football games and two injuries. You have to dive deep into this rule. And I plead with the NCAA to get on top of this because it's it's broken. It is a rule that is broken. I cannot stress that enough that targeting is broken in college football. And we need to fix it. We need to fix it. It's no other way around it. I'm going on a rant now. You see, you got me going on a rant. You have to fix this rule. I've just explained a lot already. But when I see people getting called for you know, getting called targeting for not very clear targeting calls. It's not really targeting, but they're calling it targeting and people are getting off the hook with clear and blatant targeting calls. Like it was blatant that he led with a helmet. I'm just saying, I'm just saying it's not right. It's not right. They need to change the rule and update stuff. This coming up all season dear for, for targeting coming up for the 2024 season. Those are my two cents on the, on the targeting rule. And I, I think that we need to change that for real. So coaching carousel, and we're going to go with a frenzy rankings. Let's talk about the coaching carousel for a little bit. College station Sunday. It was reported and I'm going to get into this real quick. After a 51-10 win against Mississippi State, it was decided, and there were meetings, rumors of meetings going around to decide the future of one head coach, Jimbo Fisher. And Sunday, it was reported that Texas A&M has fired head coach Jimbo Fisher. They pulled the trigger. Fisher is now going to get a $77 million buyout and associate head coach Elijah Robinson will be the interim head coach for the remainder of the season until they find somebody else coming up. So they pulled the trigger. And six years, listen, everyone was everyone was saying, you know, okay, Jimbo's going to do it. It's not going to happen in year one. I keep dropping my pen, guys. Get me going with that targeting rule, I guess. But it's, it's not going to happen in year one for Jimbo. But wait until wait until year two, an improvement's going to be made. Okay, eh, an improvement was a little iffy. Third year, beat they got they got LSU. They got LSU big overtime game, twenty eighteen. Twenty nineteen hit, eh, you know it was kind of an eight and four season. Uh, nine and one, twenty twenty there in the COVID year. Nine and one New Year six bowl against North Carolina with Kellen Mond. That remember that season. Not a 10-win season, though. Next season, iffy in 2021. 2022, preseason ranked, tw- preseason ranked, you know, six, unranked and did not make a bowl game. They finished five and four and eight, five and seven. And then they were going to make it, was they didn't have an offense. They didn't have an offense last season. And it's year six, and they were six and four. No 10-win seasons from that span. 
uh, former national championship coach Jimbo Fisher, uh, no improvement was to be made. And guess what? He recruited the, the number one recruiting class, uh, you know, a couple of years back. Five star players. Five star players going into the 2022 season. F- phenomenal recruiting class, guys. Phenomenal. Uh, you cannot make this stuff up. You really can't. You can't make this stuff up. Phenomenal. Um, and then it's all about how you improve on the field, and he did not improve on the field. You know, it, he just didn't improve. Nothing, no, there was no improvement. And, and 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 we wish him well in the best of his future endeavors, but the resources are there. Guys, when you talk about Texas A&M football, that program, they can get the talent. Especially with the coach that I just had, they can get the talent. They can, they have the resources. They have the money, clearly. They just pitched in to get $77 million buyout. They have the money. They have everything there to win and hoist that bronze football trophy. They have everything in place to do that. They need a great and or an elite coach. There is a difference in good and elite. Jimbo Fisher is a good coach. Is he an elite coach? He won the national title once at Florida State. Is he an elite coach, though? Is he a Kirby Smart? Is he a Nick Saban? The answer is no. He's a good coach, but he's not an elite coach. Texas A&M, with the resources they got and the players that they can pull and recruit out of in Texas and from other places in the SEC, they need an elite coach. They need a great, a solid recruiter, an elite coach, a great leader, and a guy that could bring a staff in that could fire away on a good offensive game plan and a stingy defensive game plan and an overall complete team to win it. A&M's got it. They just need an elite coach. Now, who are the coaching options that you can look at for Texas A&M? My mind, and these are three guys, uh, I know there's issues, you know, with the boosters and all that that he had. He is not really invested in, obviously, and he's he's mentioned it in the past. But Lane Kiffin from Ole Miss would be a good option uh, on offense. He is not my number one option. He is my number two option. Number three would be Kalen DeBoer. I think Kalen DeBoer from Washington would be a good good shot there. Uh, and because of what 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 he's doing with Washington for the past two seasons and past few seasons has been unbelievable. So Kalen DeBoer would be a guy I would contact. And number one, uh, Dan Lanning from Oregon. Why not? I, you could get a Dan Lanning if you wanted to. Money would have to be enticing enough for him to leave Oregon because Oregon's a good spot right now. But in year two, he's got a top five. He had a top five recruiting class going into the, you know going into the twenty twenty three, and he's a one loss team, number six, and he's looking and vying. I mean, we'll see where they are now tonight, but vying for a Pac twelve title shot and a playoff spot in year two. When you look at that. Talk about developing. He's developing quick, and he's a solid head coach. Good leader, and what he's doing now is unprecedented. So I would probably make Dan Lenny my number one. The other options could be Mike Elko from Duke. He's had a solid season. Uh, Jed Fish from Arizona could be a good option there. He's a solid coach. Uh, Long shots, and and it's a a good wild card, and and a lot of people have been mentioning this, and they they were kind of saying, talk about this guy. Talk about him, and I will. 
But Dan Campbell from the Detroit Lions, head coach for, for the Lions, he's a solid coach and he's a Texas A&M alumni. I think it would be a, a a wild card option, but he may be a good fit. Look what he's doing at Detroit this year, seven and two. Uh, they defeated the Chargers. Spoiler alert uh, for Thursday's episode, but and they look phenomenal. You know, so let's just see what AM does from here on out. And we're going to talk about head coaching candidates and reports on everything going on with Texas AM and give you updates on everything uh, in the future. But they fired head coach Jimbo Fisher. Now the new process begins of looking for a, trying to look for an elite level and could be a championship winning head coach in College Station at Texas AM. That buyout's insane $77 million. Unbelievable. Man, fire me. I'll get the $77 million. <laughs> I'm laughing now, guys. I'm sorry. I'm just cracking up. One more. Uh, you know, let's mention a couple more before we go. One that's quick. Uh, one, two of quick ones. Mississippi State has fired head coach Zach Arnett. Uh, after one season, it looked like they it wasn't the, the right the right fit to begin with, and I didn't really see a good fit them as a head coach there. He is a good. He was a good defensive coordinator with under Mike Leach and he was for that team. But when he took over as head coach, he just wasn't a good fit and it wasn't translating on the field. Uh, He changed the offense up and the offense is not as good because of the players. You know, it doesn't fit the players' wants or needs and schemes. So um, Zach Arnett just wasn't the proper fit for Mississippi State. And uh, uh, senior analyst, senior offensive analyst, Greg Knox will take over for the remainder of the season, including the Egg Bowl. Uh, for Mississippi State. So uh, Mississippi State, they're four and six, man. They got a lot to play for. They got two games left. They got a game against Southern coming up Saturday, and they got the Egg Bowl on Thanksgiving. So if they win those two games, they're bowl eligible. Do I see it happening? It's going to be kind of tricky. Ole Miss is a good team. So let's just see what happens in the Egg Bowl. Let's see what happens Saturday. But Zach Arnett is no longer with the team. Let's see who could be a good coaching fit there. Uh When I I look at this, it's kind of hard to tell at this point on who would be a good hire for Mississippi State currently, but I may, you know, name drop some some folks uh, coming up here shortly. Maybe a Jed Fish. Maybe if you try to go after a guy like Jed Fish from Arizona, that would be a good fit maybe. Uh, But let's just see. Let's just kind of keep in mind right now. I think the AM job is overtaking a lot right now, but let me, I'm going to dive deep into the Mississippi State position and we can see what's enticing enough for somebody to be hired in Stark Vegas. So uh, they got rid of Zach Arnett first year, and uh, there's been rumors about Arkansas head coach Sam Pittman. I don't have any updates on that yet, but we don't right now, uh, from the, the look of things, the future is kind of dim, but we do not know at this current point in time what's going to go down. So uh, there's been I've been hearing rumors about that as well. So that's the coaching carousel and that's what's been going on uh, with college football outside or, you know, going on outside of the field, blending on to the field. Guys, previewing predictions, but before that, let's go with the frenzy college football playoff rankings for week 12 before we get into the previewing predictions. Guys, Let's kick it off here, and I will post and upload the these the rankings for Week 12 on all socials, X, Facebook, and Instagram. So follow on the all pages and like all pages, and comment down below on who your rankings are because I, I want to hear from you guys. Message me, comment. I want to hear from you guys. So, number 25, Tulane. By the way, before we go to Tulane, 
James Madison is not in the rankings anymore. I made another executive decision. I've changed my mind. I thought they were always going to be in there, but the ineligibility is just, I can't keep up. You know, I, I don't think I can, you know, put them in there if they're ineligible. So good team, undefeated, but I don't think I can put them in there since they're ineligible. So Tulane at 25, good Solid team. They haven't been playing to the best of their abilities. So that's why I dropped them to 25. North Carolina at 24. They got a tough test against New Clemson. Clemson has played pretty solid the past two games ever since that loss to NC State. They, they're in for it Saturday. I, we're going to talk about that because we're covering that game this Saturday. Number 23, Kansas State. They're back in the rankings after a strong win against Baylor. 22, Oklahoma State, they drop all the way to 22 after a blowout loss to UCF, 45-3. to I didn't expect Okie State to lose any more games, but they did. Big-time loss for Oklahoma State. They go from 15 to 22 in my rankings. Liberty is undefeated, 10-0. The Flames, they're 21 in Conference USA. Good group of five team there. They're the best group of five team out there currently. Number 20. Utah, after losing a tough one and close one to Washington. 7-3, Utah's going into a tough game against a 7-3 and white-hot Arizona team. So let's watch out for them. Number 19, Notre Dame, they were on a bye. Notre Dame was on a bye. So they're at 19. They move up one spot. Tennessee, 18, after losing to Missouri. I put them at 18 because they're still a three-loss team, but... There's, they still got they still they still got some some toughness in them. So I'm gonna put 18 at Tennessee. I I, I think they're gonna show they're gonna show a lot against Georgia, and I'll explain that in a minute. 17 LSU. Uh, they go back from 19 to 17 in my eyes because of Jaden Daniels. What he did against Florida, he made history, guys. My number one Heisman vote is Jaden Daniels at this point. He put up 606 total yards of offense, a history record day, 300. 300-plus pass yards and 200-plus yards of rushing in a single game? A single game? FBS record. No one's done that before. 606 total yards of offense by one guy alone, and that was Jaden Daniels. Unbelievable. He's my Heisman favorite right now, and he's been doing this stuff all season. So it doesn't matter about the losses for LSU. They're not in it. Sure, they're out. Give Jaden Daniels a shot at the Heisman Trophy, though, because he is the best player in college football. In my eyes, and in a lot of others' eyes, too, he is the best player in college football. Number 16, Arizona. They're the highest-rated three-loss team right now because Arizona's just white hot. Noah Fafita, Noah Fafita, good quarterback, and he stepped in and uh, made a difference on that and on offense. Jed Fish doing an excellent job as the head coach for Arizona. They're bowl eligible, man. Arizona, the Wildcats, number 16 in my eyes, bowl eligible. Number 15, and they catapulted to this, Iowa. Seven and two, Iowa. Iowa uh, about to clinch a share in the Big Ten West and could go to the Big Ten Championship game against Michigan and or Ohio State. We will see what happens there. Number 14, Penn State. I think Penn State, the offense with the way they played, uh, 14 is a good spot for them. I think that loss kind of hurt them uh, because of the way the offense played. But that defense looked solid, though. So I can't lie about the, the defense. The defense looked really good. Number 13, Oklahoma. They got a good win against West Virginia. I'm going to move them up to 13 and move them back into the conversation up against Texas because they only got two losses. So if everybody else loses, let's see. Iowa State still in the conversation, though. Texas has got to go to Iowa State Saturday. And Ames, Ames, Iowa. Let's just keep tread that lightly. 
Number 12, Ole Miss. They're out of the top 10 after losing to Georgia in a big loss there. Good team. They're still a good team, and I expect them to go to a New Year's Six. They're a solid football. They're a solid football team. Missouri at 11. I have Missouri ahead of Ole Miss because I think Missouri right now is a pretty solid football team. Another team that I think could go to the New Year's Six if they wanted to, if they went out. Uh, number 11, Missouri football team. Just a strong football team. And I, they, they played really good against Tennessee. So why not? I got to put them at 11. They're a solid get team. Eli Drinkwitz did a heck of a job. And the eye test currently, right now, I got Missouri ahead. Oregon State in the top 10. Oregon State's number 10. Oregon State is headed for a showdown with Washington, which another game we will cover. I just spoiled all four games. But Oregon State, we'll talk, we'll talk about that one with Washington. They got a huge showdown with them. Going to be a fun one in Corvallis, Oregon. Beaver Town, baby. It is going to be electrifying. Oregon State's been running the ball well. They look good on offense. What they did at Stanford was unbelievable. They're a good football team. They're not just they're not out of it just yet. Oregon State at 10. Louisville at nine. Another solid football team. They've been playing lights out. Uh and Jahar Jordan on the ground, electrifying as well in the ACC. They've been playing well. I got Miami Saturday. Uh gonna be a strong test for Louisville, but let's see what happens there. Texas at eight. I think Texas played a close game against TCU. They didn't play great, but they didn't play bad either, right? They didn't play bad. They're just kind of in the middle. So number eight is Texas. I'm going to keep them there. Uh, sad news to report, Texas running back Jonathan Brooks, and this is a huge loss for the Texas Longhorns offense, has torn his ACL. Head coach T. Sarkeesian announced that the other day. Uh, that's a, that's going to affect the running game on offense just a tiny bit. Jonathan Brooks, thoughts and prayers are with him as he makes a speedy recovery, but that's a tough loss there, guys. A very tough loss. So we're going to see what happens there. Oregon at seven. You're going to think, really? Oregon at seven? I put Oregon at seven because they play good, and Bo Nix played really, really good. And they look great, and they still got a lot to play for. Pac-12 title could be on the line, could be coming up here shortly for them if they if they clinch a seed. And they look good overall. I mean, they, I mean, they, they've been, they, they look like a, the most complete team in the Pac-12. But Alabama is at six because of what Alabama is able to do currently. Alabama and Oregon are my my top two right now. If Texas and Oregon played, I pick it, I'm picking Oregon to be, be to beat Texas right now. If Bama and Oregon, if Bama and Texas rematched, I'm picking Alabama to beat Texas right now. If those two rematched, and if those two matched up, it'd be a close game. But Bama right now physically just has has a rhythm going. And I think right now. They're one of the first two out in my eyes. I test. I'm going by stricter eye test right now on who's play who played better going into week 12, who has played better going into week 12. Oregon's close. Oregon is close, but Alabama has stepped up to the plate and has played better in my eyes. Alabama at six, Oregon at seven. Uh one of the first two out is Alabama. Number five, the last out is. Florida State, number five. They played a close game against Miami, but I think, and they played decent in the end, I think how they started and how they finished is a key to me of what Florida State's going to have to do to try to get in. But I think Florida State right now is at five, and I'm just going to keep them there at five. Not moving them, not dropping them, but Florida State's at five because they're undefeated, and they've earned that. So Florida State at five. Number four, Washington. They look 
solid. <laughs> they look good. They, they play really good against Utah. Uh, number four for me, for them. Number three, Ohio State. Still nothing there. I think Ohio State is in that spot right now until the game in a couple of weeks. So we're going to see what happens there. Number two and number one. It's a flip-flop this week. I got number two, Michigan, and number one, Georgia. I think Michigan played solid against Penn State. Don't get me wrong. They played solid against Penn State. But I felt like Georgia just played a lot more dominant and a lot more better. They beat the number nine, the number nine ranked team last week is now the number nine ranked team. I don't know. I don't know what they're gonna be this week, but uh the, the overall in the nation, 52 to 17. And Michigan looked good, and they played a solid Penn State team. But I think right now Georgia got themselves the nod at the at the number one spot this week. So number one, Georgia, Michigan at number two. Close, very close between the two. But Michigan is the most complete team in college football, still in my eyes. But Georgia right now could easily win the national championship. Could probably easily win the national championship. My my opinion has changed a lot ever since Kentucky against Georgia. So I think the only team that could probably beat Michigan right now could be the Georgia Bulldogs. So let's just see what happens. Let's just see what happens. Georgia one, Michigan two. And that was the frenzy college football playoff rankings for week 12. I will post those on X, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you did not get to this point of the episode and miss out on the rankings, you will see them tomorrow, Wednesday, on all socials. So, week 12 preview and predictions to close out pigskin frenzy for Tuesday. So, North Carolina at Clemson. This is a game where I was kind of conflicted. I was like, should I cover Miami or Louisville or should I cover North Carolina and Clemson? But I think Clemson and North Carolina got the nod for me because of the matchup. So, I think a key for North Carolina in this game is they need to win the line of scrimmage. They've been doing good the past few weeks at protecting Drake May, and Drake May's been making his throws, and he's been doing pretty well. He's one of the top quarterbacks in college football still in my eyes. He's played solid. I think they need to go into a hostile environment in Death Valley and in Clemson Memorial Stadium in South Carolina to try to overcome the crowd noise and overcome a solid defensive front. And I think the only way to do that is if you block physically and physically win on the line of scrimmage against a, a pretty good physical Clemson team. Now, the key for Clemson is Clay, Kay Klubnick has got to have a sensational game. How he played against Georgia Tech was unbelievable. He played lights out against Georgia Tech. So I think what needs to happen would be to have a sensational game. If you're Clemson, you know, if you're K Club, Nick and Clemson, you got to have a sensational game, and then Clemson will have a sensational game. I think this is going to be a close game. But in the end, who do I have winning? I got North Carolina winning this game and pulling this one out close. North Carolina wins this game close. I think it's going to be a score around 24-17. North Carolina, 24. Clemson, 17. Clemson goes to 6-5, and five, and North Carolina goes to 9-2. and two. If Louisville drops to Miami, there's a lot to play for for North Carolina, man. A lot to play for for North Carolina. Uh, North Carolina could be very well back into the fold for the ACC championship. So uh, North Carolina, 24. Clemson, 17. And Clemson... Uh, loses a tight one at home over this strong North Carolina team. Utah at Arizona. Tricky game. 
Very tricky game. I think this is going to be a close. This is going to be a, a game that people need probably need to tune into. I think it's going to be interesting. Arizona and and, and this is at Arizona this is probably the home field advantage can come into a factor, but don't count out Utah. Utah's defense has to contain Noah Fafita and the Wildcat offense. Their defense is number 15 overall in FBS and number three in the Pac-12. Utah has got a very stingy defense. Pretty good. Uh, number five offense in the Pac-12 and number 31 offense overall in FBS for Arizona. So they got a number, they got a top five offense in the conference versus the number three defense in the Pac-12. So something's got to give here. It's going to be a close matchup. So the Utah's defense has to slow down Noah Fafita and the Wildcat offense. And if, if I'm Utah, I would probably establish the running game with Jaquindon Jackson. I would probably establish that running game with him and Jalen Glover and just run the ball effectively to try to you know slow down a little bit of that defense of Arizona. I think it's going to be a tight game. I really do. It's one of those games where you got to line your matchups up perfect, and it's a, it could go either way. Do not count out Utah, but don't overlook Arizona. Tight game. Tight game. I think it's going to be close. Who do I got winning? It is hard for me to pick you to pick against Utah right now. I think Utah wins this game close. I think Arizona is a good team, and I think they're going to potentially, potentially, you know, win nine games and go to a good bowl game. So, um, I think right now, uh, Utah gets them close. By a score of 28-24. 28 Utah. 28 Utah. 24 Arizona. And Utah gets the win over Arizona. Uh, I can't pick against Utah again, man. Utah looks Utah looks too good right now. I can't keep doubting Utah. Utah's got it. 28-24. They moved to 8-3. Arizona moves to 7-4. Georgia at Tennessee. 10-0 Georgia at 7-3 Tennessee. Uh, for this game... I think Tennessee is going to come out playing a lot better than they did against Missouri. Why? Home field. That's one. And two, I think they're going to play with a chip on their shoulder of we got nothing to lose for anyway. So uh, those are the teams that I would take light, you know, don't tr- tread lightly on and watch out for. So uh, for Georgia, I would slow the rundown against Tennessee. Y'all got to remember Tennessee's rushing offense is number two in the SEC, only behind LSU. So they got a, a solid running attack. Uh, Georgia's got a very physical defense. They probably could slow it down. So if I'm Georgia, I'm slowing down the run heavily. And if you're Tennessee, you have to do this, and it's tough. You got to match the physicality with them, man. You have to play physical football. You got to try to win your matchups in the line of scrimmage, and you got to play this team very physical to at least have a shot at trying to upset the Georgia Bulldogs. Run the ball effectively, play your matchups right, and play your cards right, and win up front and try to win up front and match the physicality with the dogs. Close game. I think it's going to be a closer game than it was last year. I think Tennessee's going to play a lot better than they did against Missouri. Who do I have winning this game? Georgia. (laughs) I think Georgia wins. You're thinking you're hyping up Tennessee, man. And then you pick Georgia. I am. I think Georgia's elite. I think Tennessee's a good, I think Tennessee's a good team. Again, what I said, what's our words of the day, guys? Good. Elite. Georgia's elite. I got Georgia winning, going to 11-0 before Georgia Tech and before a looming showdown with Alabama in the SEC Championship. Georgia wins 
31. I think Georgia wins 35-21. Georgia 35, Tennessee 21. I think it's a close game at first, but they pull away in the fourth quarter, and it's 35-21. Georgia 35, Tennessee 21. Georgia 11-0, Tennessee 7-4. Washington at Oregon State to conclude today's episode of Pigskin Frenzy. Man, what an underrated matchup. Game day's not going there. They're going to James Madison. A lot of people are kind of upset with him on that. I'm not. It's okay. Go to James Madison. James Madison's a good, good, you know, good, you know, good team. Electric, electrifying environment. Go there. My thing is, I'm I'm blessed to cover this game. There's gonna be a lot of people at the game. Uh, I'll be covering it uh virtually, obviously, but I'll be co- covering it virtually. So Washington and Oregon State, 10-0, 8-2. Oregon State's a good team, man. They are a good team, and people are not seeing that a lot, and they need to see this. This is a Pac-12 game right here. This is a Pac-12 championship-type clinching game here. For Washington, and our, well, sorry, for Oregon State, you got to try to find a way to contain Michael Penix and the rest of the offensive weapons. For Washington, you got to try to find a way to slow down Damian Martinez and the rest of offensive weapons. It's literally contain the weapons on offense for both teams. I mean, you got stars on the field. You got DJ Yogo-Laley, Damian Martinez, uh, Silas Bolden. You got uh, Michael Penix, uh, Roma Dunze, Jalen McMillan, Jalen Polk on the other side. Uh, Washington, when it comes to offense, number two in the Pac-12 and number six in the FBS. Oregon State, number four in the Pac-12 and number 19 overall in the FBS. Who wins this game? I think it's going to be close, back and forth. It is hard to go against Washington right now, though. I got Washington beating Oregon State close. Close game. Washington defeats Oregon State by a score of 42-35. Washington 42, Oregon State 35. Close one high-scoring game, but Washington moves to 11-0, and Oregon State moves to 8-3. That just about does it for Pigskin Frenzy, you guys. A big thank you for taking some time out of this Tuesday to just sit back, watch, and listen to some college football coverage presented by me. Now, if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to the channel, like on like each episode, and just leave comments down below. Spotify, Podbean, and Apple. All you got to do is just share around with others and follow on there as well. X, Instagram, and Facebook. Just type in Pigskin Frenzy. Follow like the pages there. You'll get episode updates, news, and highlights from across college and NFL football. You... We'll get trivia questions on Instagram stories. Go and answer today's. Once again, as always, keep plugging in to Pigskin Frenzy for every update for Pigskin Frenzy. So Thursday, good episode for Thursday on tap. We're going to recap week not, week 10 of the NFL season and look ahead to week 11 of the NFL season. And some good games that were on tap. My predictions didn't go too, get, too good. We'll talk about that on Thursday. But anywho... Stay tuned for Thursday, NFL edition of Pigskin Frenzy. Until then, I'm Joel Norris signing off. And for everybody out there, stay the course.